Side Hustle Show 207, how do you use video and YouTube to grow your business? Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results toward building those job-free income streams. I want to introduce a friend of mine who has done an excellent job of building said income streams, largely on the back of his super popular YouTube channel. Thomas Frank is the College Info Geek. You can find him at collegeinfogeek.com. I invited Thomas on the show to school me in the ways of video and YouTube because it's an area I'm looking at for growth and to, to potentially reach more side hustlers in the upcoming year. Now, his channel has over 400,000 subscribers and over 14 million lifetime views. And those numbers will be out of date even by the time you're listening to this because every time I go to the page and hit refresh, the numbers have already gone up. Now, on top of that, he's also used the channel to build an email list of more than 100,000 subscribers in a little over two years, about two and a half years. That's huge. So stick around to hear his best practices for video creation and growing uh, a video following his YouTube SEO secrets, and how all those millions of views add up to dollars and cents. Notes, links, and a free PDF highlight reel from this conversation are at sidehustlenation.com slash Thomas. My top takeaways from this chat with Thomas after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. College Info Geek of the YouTube channel started in August 2014. So it's just a little bit over two years old. What's been the overarching strategy there, like in terms of coming up with content ideas, in terms of what do you think's attributed to the growth there? I don't think it's really easy to boil down to one simple thing. There are several strategies that I've used, and I've also shifted the strategy over time. But I can tell you that when I started, I was doing College Info Geek. I was, you know, I was writing it. I was doing podcast episodes. And... For one reason or another, I started to find myself watching more YouTube videos and reading less blogs. My interests changed quite a lot, so kind of a natural progression. But usually when I find myself interested in something, I want to do it, and I just I don't want to just experience it. I want to actually kind of get my skin in the game. So I was interested in making videos, and what I started noticing is on YouTube, there wasn't a whole lot of really compelling content for how to study, how to take tests, how to read textbooks, all the kind of questions that students were asking me about as a blogger. There were either one hour long videos where someone had stuck a camera in the back of a lecture room and there was a professor talking about these topics. Yeah, boring. There were, yeah, or you have these, these channels that are like high school girls doing makeup tutorials and you know food vlogs and workout videos. And every once in a while, they'll say, here's my study routine or here's like 10 study tips, but there was nothing dedicated. So I was spending a lot of time on YouTube and I was watching a lot of channels that would do a lot of really crazy editing and they put a lot of time and thought into making their channels really entertaining. And because I'm a video game fan, a lot of the channels were video game focused and I wasn't really watching like Let's Plays, but I would watch channels like JonTron or Cat Icarus. These channels will do like reviews of video games or almost like comedy videos that are focused on video games and they have a lot of crazy editing and images flying all over the place and sound effects. And I was also watching channels like Crash Course, which have amazingly well edited and animated videos about science and history and all sorts of academic topics. And I was wondering, like, what if I could take a lot of the elements I like from these videos and apply it to my specific topic? Well, now I've kind of created a niche where I'm the only person in this area that's doing stuff that's really, really entertaining. 
And I didn't really notice or think about this at the time, but most of the kids that want help with school and studying and academics are also people who are interested in video games or really entertaining fun vlogs and stuff. So I kind of stumbled into this little intersection where I'm talking about topics that don't have a whole lot of compelling content on YouTube. And I'm also mixing in things that people are already watching and clicking on on YouTube as well. And it was kind of a nice little combination there. So that was the initial strategy. And if you look at some of the earlier videos, you can see it kind of like bald faced. My second video, I have a couple that are like really old, but second in terms of like the regular ones. So the first one was the four step process to starting your day productively. The second one was how to figure out if college is worth it using the Tony Hawk method. And it was like, I am straight up mixing Tony Hawk's pro skater with college advice. And then the second video was like, I'm talking about habit RPG, which is this habit tracking app. And I'm straight up just comparing that to Pokemon. And people liked that. And I just, I didn't really think about it at the time, but I was like, yeah, Pokemon fans and college students and high school students, there's actually kind of a crossover there. Okay. So for a while, that was a big focus of mine. I also look at my choice of topics very strategically. So there's always kind of a balance between what do I think is going to be really compelling and going to help a lot of people and going to get a lot of views, but also what am I interested in enough to write about right now? So I think I've noticed that as time has gone on, my videos usually focus more completely on a particular topic instead of the intersection of a topic in like a video game. And then I'll pepper it with references instead of making the entire video about one reference. So I'll, you know, I'll throw video game references. It's like a joke or something. Yeah, well, that's really an interesting thing to hear is like, what is the intersection of what I can teach and be educational with entertainment, right? Because it's yeah. like people are trying to do both on YouTube, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm mostly on there for like, how do I move this stupid thing on my website? Like, you know, two inches that way. <laughs> uh, you try to find like tutorials and how-to videos. Yeah. And there's this other element to it. Like if you can present that information entertainingly, like, okay, now I'm, I'm interested. What else do you have to say? So that's kind of cool to hear and kind of the origin story of how that came to be. So you publish these videos. And okay, so video number two is like the four step process to start your day more productively. Mm -hmm. And it's a Tony Hawk mashup. And you just publish it out there. What happens? Like, do you do anything specific to promote a video once it goes live? What I was doing in the beginning was essentially relying on my existing blog audience to grow the YouTube channel. And I would say that this was less successful than I initially thought it was going to be because the blog, you know, was at the time probably getting, oh, 60,000 visits a month. And it was doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. Articles were getting pretty good view numbers and podcast number numbers were pretty decent. So I was like, hey, people are going to just basically roll right into this. And I have to say, initially, my intention wasn't to build a YouTube following per se. I wasn't really trying to be a YouTuber. My initial kind of inspiration for making videos came in part from something I saw Fizzle do because the guys over at Fizzle have the Fizzle blog and one time I saw that they decided to take like a little chunk of their productivity course, just like a three minute, one little tip. And they built a blog post around it. And they said in the blog post, this is kind of just a way for us to shake up the blog because we always do text content. We do podcasts. Why don't we just throw a video in there every once in a while, right? We're already making tons of videos for the courses. So we'll just shave off a little bit and put it on the blog. And I was like, bam, that's a way to shake up my content as well. Yeah. So initially it was like, I'm just going to make cooler blog posts. And I think the reason that I started eventually moving from that to this idea of being a YouTuber was that I was just having so much fun making these videos. Okay. When you're just sitting there 
in Premiere and you're like, oh my gosh, I just learned how to make this little element move across the screen. And I have a Game Boy like coming from the bottom, just like swooshing up. It's just so much fun. At least for me, it was. And the craft of editing became amazingly fun to do. So I was like, how can I do more of this? Well, I guess I'm going to become a YouTuber. <laughs> so I committed okay. to doing a video every single week. And actually, I think this is one of the things that helped me out the most was that I was, number one, I was trying to put a lot of effort into the videos and I wanted to make them better than the majority of other things out there within the topic. But number two, I didn't let my perfectionism get in the way of publishing every single week. And I remember I had a conversation with my friend, Matt Givanisi, who you also know, and I told him, dude, by the end of this year cycle from now till one year from now, I'm going to have 50 videos out. Now, I don't think I actually hit 50 within a year, but I got close and that general just commitment helped me to get a lot of content on my channel, a lot of different topics, and eventually it started to help build a following. Okay. This was probably around around podcast movement like 2014 when we first met. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the blog audience was kind of, hey, look, we're into reading. We're not so much into video. And so that wasn't the most effective marketing channel. Like what are the marketing weapons at your disposal, like on YouTube or what else have you found effective? So I use my social media that moved the needle a little bit. Email, email newsletter moved the needle a little bit. What I found initially to be helpful was actually Reddit. Reddit is an interesting beast because Reddit seems to be so anti-self-promotional, yet they love content. So you have to know like exactly how to structure your Reddit strategy if you're going to use Reddit as a way to grow your following. And fortunately, I had been a Redditor for a long time since I was in college. I had a long Reddit history and I kind of knew you know, I had my finger on the pulse a little bit of how people react to things there. So instead of just like spamming my stuff to r slash videos or something, what I found is a subreddit called r slash get studying. And instead of just spamming my videos to get studying, I spent a lot of time just getting to know people in there, answering a lot of questions in text form in the threads on that forum. And eventually I would say, hey, I made a video on this. And eventually, you know, kind of as I built a little bit of trust with that particular subreddit, I would occasionally post a video that I thought would be really helpful. Okay. And I think the first few I did, I didn't post a video directly. I made a text thread where I basically summarized the entire video. And then I said, if you want to watch a video form of this, click there. People liked it. So the next step I took was I started posting videos directly, but I would always go and make a comment below the video summarizing the main points. Because I eventually, you know, I think a couple of comments that came in the first time were like, hey, I don't want to watch this. Can you make a summary? And I think a lot of us will have this initial reaction. Where we're just like, dude, why do you want a summary? Just watch the video. If you're ambitious enough, you'll watch it. But I was like, I'm going to cater to this audience. So I would always write a summary every single time. Over time, even though I was posting a lot of my own stuff in that subreddit, people trusted it. There was actually a couple times where a couple of people like called me out and they were like, you post a lot of your own stuff to the subreddit and don't post a whole lot of other stuff to the subreddit. And below it, people would get defensive and they were like, yeah, but Thomas's stuff is good. So don't discourage him from posting stuff here because we want to make more stuff. Shut up, dude. <laughs> and that made me feel pretty good. So I would say that's an atypical experience on Reddit if you go in just guns blazing, posting your stuff. But if you're if you're really respectful and you really foster a community there and you're, you're there to help, because people will call you on your on your BS if you're not. It can be really rewarding. And that actually led to one of the big catalysts. Okay. So 
I made this video called, I don't feel like it is a mindset for amateur. And this was an ironic video because they had a very big ambitious video planned for that particular week. And I started to get to the point midway through the week where I realized it wasn't going to happen. Okay. And I was tempted to just not post the video and keep working on it and post it the next week. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I stood in front of my camera and I just basically vomited my thoughts on you know, what I should do if I don't feel like doing something. Because a lot of students have this problem as well. And somebody posted that to Reddit and it got a ton of views. So that was like the first quote unquote viral video. And it wasn't like a million views viral, but it was like 40,000 in a couple of days. And I think it shot the channel up from about 200 subscribers to around 2000. And once you kind of get into that, like a couple of thousand range, now you have that, you know, first spike. And then you have a few people who have stayed on. Well, if you got a couple of thousand, now you start to have the ball rolling on YouTube. Now you start to have more than like six views on a video. You have a little bit of credibility. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm, one of the things that I'm trying to get to do. And you guys have to check out these videos. They're amazingly well done, amazingly well edited. And it's this perfect blend of information and entertainment. And it's something that I'd like to try and get to do, even to, to go back to your first strategy of like mixing up the written content, right? Here's something I've already created, even going back through the archives and say, hey, this post was a hit. How can I translate that into video form and reach potentially a new audience? Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out. One of my most successful videos is that. Okay. So that's that sounds like a viable thing or that seems... Instead of coming up with something completely from scratch, at least here's an opportunity to repurpose something that I already have mm -hmm. and have some fun with it. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. 
need to hire, you need Indeed. But I'm curious, what else went into the, the marketing side of things? Like I know YouTube is a powerful search engine on its own. And I noticed your videos all have kind of a distinctive like thumbnail image. So can you talk a little bit about the on YouTube marketing? The first thing I'll say, because you mentioned YouTube is a powerful search engine, is that it is a powerful search engine. It is potentially the second most used search engine in the world. Somebody told me that. I don't know if I can verify it, but it is not as smart as Google in any sense of the word. So what I have learned is that it is important to do your keyword research when you're making your video. For example, on my how to be more confident video, there was like one particular keyword. Oh, it was like, it was like how to be the, oh, that's what it was. It was how to be the most confident person you know was my original title. And I made it and then I searched for it. And because I have a big channel, usually I can gar- I can bet on a video that I have made at least being on the first page of the search term I'm going for for the first couple of days because YouTube search engine is very, very focused on fresh new content and it wasn't there. And I was like, why? (laughs) What's going on? So then I changed it to how to be more confident instead of how to be the most confident person, you know, and bam, first page. You'd think that their algorithm would equate the word most with more because it's, you know, like a modifier, but it doesn't. It's very literal. So if you have deemed that people search for how to be more confident and they don't search for how to be the most confident, which is kind of obvious when you think about it, then you need to title your video with something like that. Okay. (laughs) And on that note, titling is oh so important. I've done a lot of practice and a lot of research on this, so it's becoming a little bit intuitive, but I can give you a few tactical things. Number one, there is a tool called Co-Schedule Headline Analyzer. I think you should use this for your blog posts as well, but also for YouTube videos, title is just incredibly important. So use it, take its results with a grain of salt because it is not a human. So you can't guarantee that what it tells you is good is actually, you know, always good, but it is a good way to workshop titles. And the other thing I've learned is whenever I'm tackling a topic, a lot of times the topic idea that I'm making a video on comes from a question somebody asked me. So let's take, for example, the one video called The Most Powerful Way to Remember What You Study. This is a video about spaced repetition, which is a topic that's also known as distributed practice. Basically, it's all about using increasingly large intervals of time between your study sessions in order to learn faster. This is like a scientifically proven principle. It's incredibly powerful. And I wanted to make a video on it. Okay. And I've known about spaced repetition since I was a freshman in college. So my initial title was how to study more effectively using space repetition. That was what I was going to go with. And I almost uploaded that. And then I thought to myself, who the heck is going to be searching for spaced repetition in YouTube? Like four people, right? <laughs> okay. What I did is I, I was like, okay, what problem am I solving for people by telling them about space repetition? I'm helping them learn faster. I'm helping them remember more information. Okay. So I stepped back from the actual topic, space repetition, take one step back and look at it from the angle of what is the problem this topic is actually solving? Or what is something that I can kind of pique their curiosity on? So I ended up with the most powerful way to remember what you study because I thought, and this is a little clickbaity, but I also think there's a payoff because I think space repetition actually is the most powerful way to remember what you study since it is a temporal hack, can actually be tacked on to the top of any other kind of study tactic. And that video has 375,000 views whereas the two that are right beside it have 40,000 and 128,000. So titling matters. Okay, th- th- I mean, those were updated the week before and after. Yes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it is by far the most successful video that I've done in 
a long time. So far more people are searching for how to remember what I study yeah. than how to use spaced repetition. Mm-hmm. And I've got YouTuber friends who are way, way more into the SEO stuff and the keyword research stuff. They'll use tools like vidIQ. They'll use like Google keyword analytics and research tools and they'll do it. I never do any of that, to be honest. Basically, I use a combination of intuition and searching on YouTube. So I'll notice things in the suggestion box, like I'll type in how to, and then it's like, how to remember what you studied. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe I should title my video, how to remember what you studied. And then I'd throw that into co-schedule headline analyzer. And I would just try like 10 different permutations and just really push myself to creatively think of a lot of titles. And then whatever kind of seems the most powerful to me, the most compelling to me at the end of that session, that's usually what I'll go with. Yeah. It's a combination of like getting your keywords in there, but still making it something clickable. And yeah, like you said, pique that curiosity. It's an art. It really is. Yeah. Do the tags matter? I, I like when I upload videos, I see like a box for tags and I'm like, what do I put in here? The tags are there for advertisers to be able to target the types of videos they might want to run ads against. (laughs) So I do throw some stuff in the tags. But yeah, I used to like spend a ton of time trying to craft perfect tags. But from what I've been told, they have either no or an infinitely minuscule effect on your video's ranking. Okay. Much more important is your title and your description and also your engagement and views, especially in like the first 24 to 48 hours of video being published. Okay. Well, going back to the tag thing. So if it's important for advertisers and I imagine you're running... YouTube monetization on on some of these videos? Yeah, I am. And actually, you know what? It was funny. For the first year, I didn't because I've been doing blogging and podcasting for longer than I've been YouTubing. So it's funny that I got into this kind of in the opposite direction that a lot of people do. A lot of people do YouTube and then they have to learn how to run a business afterward. I was running a business first. So I saw it immediately from the perspective of if I enable ads, then fewer people are going to make it to my call to action at the end of the video. That was what I thought intuitively. So I never had ads for a really long time. I basically left all that money on the table. And then one day I was sitting in a bar with my friend Sean in San Diego. We were drinking peanut butter beer, which is amazing, by the way. And he told me, Tom, you need to turn on ads on your videos. And here's why. When people click a video on YouTube and they see an ad, they do not think, oh man, this a-hole just put an ad on his video. They think YouTube made me watch an ad and I'm gonna sit through it or I'm gonna skip it and then I'll watch this guy's video. So now I have ads, and I do only (laughs) skippable video ads. I don't do the stupid little bottom third picture ads that pop up because I don't want people to have to click an X button. I don't do sidebar ads. I just do the skippable video ads, but it does add a little bit to the bottom line every single month. Okay. Are you comfortable sharing what that is at a channel your size? I can't tell you exactly because it's against the terms of service, but what I can tell you is that one to $2 CPMs are what I would call normal on YouTube. Okay. So you can go to Social Blade's YouTube income estimator tool, which I can go to right now for you. And then you can put in somebody's channel name. So I can put in, mine is electric I 91, spelled really weird. And it will say, okay, Thomas's estimated monthly earnings are between $273 and $4,380. That's quite a range. They use an estimated CPM range of 25 cents to $4. So that's like the the big range that encompasses basically the entire statistical bell curve. But in general, you can you can bet on closer to the one dollar range normally. But if it's like around Christmas or like you're hitting a demo that's really, really in demand at a specific time, it may get closer to two. Okay. 
Now on the descriptions, are there rules like I got to have 500 words in here? I got to, does that carry any weight no. towards discoverability <laughs> or what? Okay. So I want to put a caveat on this up front. Literally everything that I'll tell you I do on YouTube, you can find somebody more successful than me who doesn't do it or who does the opposite. There are people who put like just random gibberish in their description box okay. or their title will be like farts.abi. So you have to ask yourself, what exactly am I doing on YouTube? What is my purpose? Who am I targeting? Am I a comedy channel? Am I a how-to channel? All that kind of stuff. So I'm guessing most of the people listening to Side Hustle Nation are going to be doing something not exactly in my niche, but in the spirit of what I'm doing, kind of like helpful content that probably has some sort of business arm behind. So I would say that in general, those sort of people would probably benefit from doing things in a similar way to how I do them rather than the farts.avi people. But I do want to say that given that what I do with my descriptions is number one, I know that the first few words of the description are going to be visible in search. So what I do because of that is I'll try to craft my description so that it's it got a little bit of a hook to it, but it also contains variants of the keyword that I'm using in my title. So if I say like, you know, the videos how to actually stop wasting time on the internet, maybe they distract, actually I can read the distraction, I'll make it up. The, the description is, it's so easy to procrastinate on your work when the distractions of the internet are only click away. So I got procrastinate, I got distractions, and then I have internet again. But I wanted to have procrastinate and distractions in the title, but I don't want to make the title too long. So I compromise and I throw it in the description. This is like almost equivalent to like the meta description in Google search. It's like a little snippet that shows up yes. underneath. Okay. Yeah. And Google search, I know the meta description really doesn't affect your SEO at all. I don't know this for sure, but I feel like the YouTube description is a little bit more pull. So you do want to think about what's in there. But again, a lot of people just put like random gibberish or not much at all in there. I know people like I am Alpha M who has like 2 million subscribers. It's like a men's lifestyle channel. I think he puts like a full summary article in the description near the bottom. And I've seen other people do that. I don't do that. What I do is I use my description to have like a two or three sentence teaser for the video. And then I have always made a companion article for my videos. And that way, some people who maybe learn better through reading can go read it. And I have something on the website that number one, gives them a reason to go back to the website, which is the home base of my business. But number two, gives me a, basically a second shot at building SEO on Google. And I do try to title my article on the website a little bit differently from the one on YouTube. That way I have more shots and more keywords as well. Okay. So, and then I also link to my ebook that helps to build my email list and my Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. So it's basically like extra resources, get people back to the blog and also other calls to action. Okay. So you're linking all of those in the description tag. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then on the thumbnails, it looks like you kind of, this is just for consistent branding or is there something, there's some science behind those too? There is both science and consistent branding behind the thumbnails. <laughs> okay. So consistent branding first. If you go back to some of my older videos, you'll see that I use different fonts on the thumbnails. My girlfriend is a graphic designer. So she saw that I was using different fonts and she was like, you got to stop doing that. <laughs> you got to have consistent branding. Otherwise, I'm going to smack you. So I was like, all right, I'll use a consistent font. Fine. And I let myself get little like bits of difference in the thumbnails by putting little boxes around them sometimes or moving them around. I think I'm, I do a pretty good job being creative with nails. I also think very hard about that. Yeah, no, they look they look really good. Thank you. So if anyone's curious, I make my thumbnails entirely in Photoshop. 
I have a default thumbnail template that has some reusable elements in there. I have like some text layouts that I've created that I usually don't reuse them exactly, but I'll use them to kind of feel out like, all right, this pose and facial expression I think works well for this topic. So how would text fit around that? I mean, if you look at the thumbnails closely, you'll notice that the text is usually defined in its positioning and size by how my body and face are in the thumbnail for the ones where I'm actually in it. Sometimes it'll go over me, but usually it's not going over any part of me. And I do that because I blur the background in order to make the text really readable. And I think one of the most important things I do that everyone should do is when I'm designing my thumbnails, I zoom it way out in Photoshop so I can basically see it at the size other people are gonna see it, like postage stamp size. And in fact, I have built a Photoshop document that is a screenshot of my YouTube channel and also a screenshot of the search results page. And then there's like a little box to find over the latest thumbnail on my channel in that Photoshop document. And when I'm designing my new thumbnail, I relink the new thumbnail to that box so I can see exactly what it's gonna look like on YouTube before I'm even finished designing it. Oh, that's pretty fancy. At this point, I asked Thomas about his equipment recommendations, which sent us down a rabbit hole of gear talk that I really don't want you to get hung up on and let that be the bottleneck in your business. So on a bootstrap budget, he indicated you can shoot awesome HD video with your phone as long as you have good lighting and mentioned he pieced together his first quote studio lighting setup from Home Depot. Now, even though it's a VD, a, even though it's a video medium, viewers will be uh, forgiving of less than perfect video as long as you have excellent audio, which is not true the other way around. So you have to make sure you sound good. You can use a podcasting mic like the Blue Yeti or the Audio-Technica ATR 2100, which is what I'm seeing to right now, or an inexpensive lapel mic to, to capture your voice. Now, Thomas has written a complete post called uh, How to Make Great Videos for Less Than $1,000, super detailed. It talks about all his hardware and, uh, and software setup, especially for people getting started without a budget to buy a fancy SLR camera. You can find the link to that in the show notes for this episode, sidehustlenation.com. Let's get back to it. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. I know you've built a sizable email list on the back of this channel. Tell me about converting viewers into subscribers and calls to action. And I know you mentioned that a minute ago. Just what does that look like? You know, can you do a traditional lead magnet thing at the end of the videos or how does that work? Absolutely. Yeah. So that is what I've always done. It's funny. I went to FinCon recently and people told me the best kind of lead magnet is like something really short that people can digest really quickly. But I did the opposite of that. (laughs) I set out to make my email opt-in gift to be like this, I was gonna make a 10,000 word guide on how to earn better grades. And then I started writing and to make myself write every single day, I 
basically bet my friend that I would write 500 words a day for a month or something like that. And I had this outline. And instead of distributing my 500 words per day between like two or three parts of the outline, I would pick one and I would write 500 words. And what I ended up with was a 27,000 word book. Well, <laughs> but I had already told people this is going to be a free email opt-in. So instead of it being just this little PDF, it's a full book that people get for free. And that turned out to be a really compelling offer, actually. And it was funny because I hadn't done a whole lot of academic content before I started YouTubing. In college, I was really entrepreneurial and I did like career advice and I did a lot of money advice and I didn't really do a whole lot of how to take tests, how to read textbooks. So when I wrote a book that was like 10 steps, earning awesome grades, it was like my audience was like, yeah, give me that. That's what I want. I think, and I, I can probably say this with confidence, the book is quite good. <laughs> I think the Amazon reviews and the Goodreads reviews will tell you that I put a lot of work into it and it's like the videos, it's humorous, it's well-constructed, it's easy to read. So people like it. And basically at the end of every single video, the older videos, I had like an actual end card where there were annotations drawn over the pictures. Now I'm using the new feature, which is this end card editor where you can actually in YouTube place these little elements yourself. But in either case, I will point to something and say, hey, if you want new videos every single week on being a more effective student, you can click right there to subscribe to my channel. Also, if you want a free book on earning better grades, click right there and I will send you one. That box that I click will take them to my website. It's just a simple page that says, here, I wrote this book. It's over 100 pages. Here's the topic it covers. Sign up and you'll get access to it. And that has helped build an email list around 113,000 subscribers wow. within the last couple of years. That's nuts. That's a huge list. That's crazy. Yeah. And I got to say, you don't have to write a huge book because I have seen a lot of people do it the way that people at FinCon told me to do it, which is to create something really, really small. For example, there's a channel called Charisma on Command. I've become friends with one of the guys who runs it recently. They have just a little six minute video and that's their kind of opt-in lead magnet thing. Okay. So they'll do the same thing at the end of pretty much all their videos. They're like, hey, if you want to get an exclusive video on the four emotional triggers you want to target when making a first impression, click right here to get it. You enter your email and you get it. Okay. So in practice, this is like a still frame thing, or I guess your face could still be moving inside of a little box and you're pointing to these different links. One is a subscribe button, which YouTube will allow you to embed into a video. And the other is, is it called an annotation link that's just like inside of a box? Well, things have changed recently on YouTube and I don't think they've yet changed for everyone, but the old way that you would basically put clickable elements on a video was called annotations. And what this was, was an editor where you would literally draw boxes around parts of the video, and then you could make it do things. You can make it link to a video on YouTube. You can make it link to one of your own websites, or you can make it link to like subscribing to your channel, all kinds of stuff. The problem with these is they were not usable on mobile phones. They only worked on desktop. Oh, okay. So recently YouTube is rolling out a replacement for the annotation system called the end card editor. What this is, is a tool where the last 20 seconds of your video can have clickable elements you don't have to draw yourself. You don't draw these boxes. You just pick from a list and it lets you basically put it anywhere on a grid inside the main area of your video. And it can only be in the last 20 seconds, something which I kind of don't like because one little fun thing I used to do is I put like a joke or something after the end card as a way to keep people watching to the end. I kind of can't do that because I only have 20 seconds to do my CTAs. But in exchange for that limitation, I get to have these elements clickable on mobile phones and half of my audience is watching on mobile phones. So it's kind of a no brainer. So I use those and 
the evolution of my end cards has been first, I just had a static end card where I would design it in Photoshop. There was a subscribe button. There was like a last video button and there was a picture of the book and then I would draw annotation boxes over it after uploading. Then I read that annotation click-throughs go up if there's somebody literally on the screen pointing people to do things. So I started like zooming the end card out from the actual video and I would be like in a little box saying, point here, you can subscribe right there or you can get my book right there, point. And now I've just done away with the end card template altogether and I just use the new end card editor to slap things on the screen and I point to them in the video. Yeah, gosh, there's a lot. There's a lot to consider. <laughs> so, I'm just like dumping an entire like 10 gallon bucket of sardines on you right now. I, I know. Well, that's, you know, it's good to hear. And I probably will not be this savvy or complex when I do jump into video. But let's bring it home with the monetization, the business side of this. So we talked a little bit about the YouTube ads and kind of the range of what that income might look like. What are the other ways that College Info Geek is making money on the back of YouTube? The way College of Boogie makes money is several ways, actually. Shouldn't have said way. We do affiliate marketing. We do speaking. Well, I do speaking. Okay. I actually sell my book on Amazon as well as give it away for free. And this is because at some point in 2015, people were requesting a print edition. And I was like, well, I can't give a print edition away for free, but I put it up on CreateSpace and now it's on Amazon. I also put it up on Kindle for 99 cents just because I figured if somebody discovers it through Amazon, they might as well be able to get it on Kindle. I don't want to restrict that. Okay. And I thought that maybe like a couple people a month would buy the paperback. But what actually happened is it's become a pretty substantial income generator. And there are like professors out there using my book as a textbook in their study skills classes, which is super cool. And I'm stoked every single time I hear about it. It like explodes my brain because I still feel like a little bit of a student and I don't feel like somebody who should be an author of a textbook. Dude, this is awesome. So I just brought this page up. 10 steps to earning awesome grades. I'm on Amazon. 371 reviews, five stars. And that's nuts. Okay. So that's so that's one channel. Yeah. Oh, and so uh, I will give this tip to anybody who has a book on Amazon and is also building an email list. Two weeks after someone subscribes and gets the book for free, I send them an email saying, hey, how'd you like the book? If you liked it and you want to support me, It'd be awesome if you went and wrote a review on Amazon. Even if you didn't buy it, you can write a review because you read it. Oh, okay. And that is basically one of the big ways I get reviews on Amazon. Ask people. Now, because the book is free, I never market the Amazon one. And because of that, the sales are never like quite high enough to really make it a chart topper. And that kind of annoys me, but I can't violate the freeness of the book. So there's nothing I can do on that front. Yeah, no, that's, that's okay. Anyway... Amazon affiliates as well as a thing. And then I think those are the main ones for now. I am doing a couple of actual sponsorships on my channel in January. So those will be my, yeah, those two will be my first foray into that territory. And then we are working on developing our first course, which will come out very soon. And I'm very excited about that. And also scared because I've never really sold a product unless you count my t-shirt on dfdba.com. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. So was it a college info geek t-shirt? It, uh, so it is It is a t-shirt that has a really cool slogan on it. Instead, we actually took a vote in the community. We asked people for suggestions. And ironically, Caleb Wojcik's suggestion got the most votes. And it was college ends, learning doesn't. And I thought that would be a much cooler thing for a t-shirt than just a logo of a business. So I reached out to DFTBA, which is a company that was started by Hank and John Green, who are the, the vlog brothers, huge on YouTube guys. And I said, hey, I have this channel. And I would love to do merch through you guys. And they were like, sweet, let's do it. 
So I'm on their site now. You can find me in their store and we sell a t-shirt through there. And it's also my resource. Okay, cool. And speaking of the resources page, that's one of the big ways that we generate affiliate sales. So I've just basically made a page that lists a lot of my favorite resources for students. Many of them are free, but some of them are income generating. Cool. Between the research, scripting, filming, and editing, I asked Thomas how much time goes into creating each of his five to 10 minute weekly videos. And he told me that each one takes an average of 12 to 15 hours to produce. I encourage you to check them out because they really are works of art. But it's one of these art forms, in my mind, that's uniquely scalable. Like, I get the impression that he put in the same amount of time and effort when the channel had 200 subscribers, as he does now with over 400,000. So it's something that he's definitely seen an improved return on investment in over time by putting, by putting that time in up front. I have done one thing recently that has helped to cut down on editing. And this is a trick that I learned from I am Alpha M. I noticed that, hey, I'm paying attention to your videos and you're not doing much editing. What is it? Well, he moves in between cuts. So he's kind of popping all over the screen. And it didn't dawn on me until I was watching a lot of his videos that that's a way to introduce some movement on the screen. So you're not just this talking head in the middle of the frame, never moving. And I tried that on my how to be more confident video, which is 15 minutes long. And that enabled me to do far less animation, far less graphics and still keep the energy high in the video. And as a result, people liked that video, even though it was like three times longer than my normal video. Okay. Interesting. So you're, you're standing in one spot, but you're just kind of moving the frame. No, I'm, so I will say a line and then I'll move, like I'll take a step to the left or step to the right or back or forth, that kind of thing. Okay. Gotcha. Well, Thomas, this has been awesome. This is definitely a little bit intimidating. I've got some homework to do on the YouTube front, <laughs> but that's that's kind of the price of admission to you know build a channel that is legit these days. I'm happy to hear that you're not like phoning it in and it hasn't been super easy. Collegeinfogeek.com and we'll link up his YouTube channel in the show notes for this episode. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. I'm going to give the number one tip that I... Actually, can I give you a quote? Let's do it. All right. So I was reading this book called The 33 Strategies of War yesterday, and I came across this quote, and I love it. It is from the first Qing, which is a Chinese writing from the 8th century BC, apparently. And it goes, unlimited possibilities are not suited to man. If they existed, his life would only dissolve in the boundless. To become strong, a man's life needs the limitations ordained by duty and voluntarily accepted. The individual attains significance as a free spirit only by surrounding himself with these limitations and by determining for himself what his duty is. I read that and I was like, that is an amazing distillation of this entire philosophy I have had, which is that you need to limit yourself and you need to impose restrictions and pre-planned requirements on yourself. And I think, I honestly think because I basically forced myself to make a video every single week, that helped my channel grow. That helped everything in my business grow. I mean, my business like 3 x itself because of YouTube. So whatever you're doing, focus on the most important things and build limitations into your life somehow. Bets with friends or a publishing schedule you publicly commit to, something like that. It's going to push you forward. It's going to challenge you and you're going to win. I love it. Thomas, thank you so much, man. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, man. All right, my top takeaways from this chat with Thomas. Number one, give people a reason to watch. YouTube, in my mind, is the infotainment center of the universe. And so remember the rule, solve a problem or be entertaining, either one or both. <laughs> I think Thomas does a great job of doing both. And he's going after a big market, college students, but he's approached it in a unique way and it's really taken off. Takeaway number two 
is bring people back into your universe. So Thomas talked about his calls to action and how that's helped him build a massive email list on the back of all these YouTube views, which I think is super smart because if for whatever reason, YouTube changes the rules or shuts him down, he still has that list still going to be able to reach his audience. Takeaway number three is to be consistent. Like he said, impose deadlines on yourself, limit yourself, just like podcasting, just like traditional TV. There's an element of consistency to videos in YouTube that cultivates a viewing habit, but on the production side also cultivates the habit of you doing the work of improving your art, of getting faster and getting better at serving your audience. So those were kind of the takeaways that I pulled out of this conversation with Thomas. If you would like to download a free PDF highlight reel with all of his top tips from this conversation, you can do so at sidehustlenation.com slash Thomas. Now, while you're there, you'll also find all the links mentioned during the show as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where we're going to learn how, as entrepreneurs, to save money on taxes. It's fun stuff. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 